you're listening to Short Takes on Suicide Prevention, where experts talk to each other about how research is shaping suicide prevention. This podcast is brought to you by the VA Rocky Mountain Myrec. And now on to today's conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Short Takes. I'm your host for today. My name is Bridget Matarazzo, and I'm a clinical research psychologist and the director of clinical operations at VA's Rocky Mountain Myrick for suicide prevention. Today, I'm really excited to have our guests, Drs. Mark Rieger and Brady Stevens here with us, and we'll be talking about suicide risk associated with military transitions and some recent work um, that they did with some colleagues in this area. First, I think it would be great, Mark and Brady, if we could start with you all just telling us a bit about yourselves, some background, your research interests, that sort of thing. Sure. So this is Mark Rieger. I am a clinical psychologist and chief of psychology at the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System, which is in Seattle, Washington. I'm a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the University of Washington School of Medicine. And uh, my research focuses on military and veteran suicide prevention. I'm especially interested in unique risk factors and characteristics of military and veteran populations that differentiate their risk from maybe other populations, as well as novel interventions that we can bring to the field to improve what we can do for prevention. Great. Thanks. How about you, Brady? Hi, I'm Brady Stevens. I'm a statistician and director of data and analysis at the Vision 2 Center of Excellence for Suicide Prevention. I've been at the center for over a decade now, starting as a program analyst while working on my master's in applied statistics before becoming a statistician and then taking over as the lead of the data and analysis team here at the CUE. Also, for the past approximately five years, I've also uh, been supporting and actively involved with the National VA Suicide Prevention Program Data and Surveillance Workstream. Awesome. Thank you so much. And and thank you again both for being with us today and sharing your time and expertise and knowledge with our listeners. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how both of you got interested in veteran and military suicide prevention. I know that those of us who do this work tend to be really passionate about it and have some reasons why we fell into this line of work. Yeah, so this is Mark. And I think for me, when I started my career, I was not planning on specializing in suicide prevention work. In one of my earliest jobs, I was working at Fort Lewis and as a clinical psychologist. And in the course of that work, I was asked to help with the United States Army suicide surveillance program that they were building out of the Fort Lewis hospital. And as a part of that work, every single suicide surveillance report from the entire U.S. Army worldwide hit my desk. And over and over again, I saw the heartbreaking stories that were included in those reports. I saw the challenges that our service members were facing. I saw the patterns and sometimes the lack of patterns. And honestly, for me, what started as an opportunity to help with a meaningful project and something new and different really turned into a passion 
really early in my career there as I read through these stories. And from there, I dedicated my career to it. Thanks so much for sharing that, Mark. That's a really interesting way to to fall into this. And I can certainly understand how that passion would build as you're hearing those intense stories, reading about them and noticing what you notice. So thanks for, for sharing that. How about you, Brady? So mine started with an opportunity. So I had always been interested in data. And when an opportunity became available at the Center of Excellence for Suicide Prevention, I jumped at it. And I've been very happy ever since. When I first took the position, I was a little apprehensive about suicide prevention because I really didn't know a whole lot about it. And so I think it was part of the, the stigma that we see, but I've had no regrets and such rewarding work to work in this field. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Brady. All right. Today, I'd like to focus a bit more on a recent publication you all had that was particularly related to the transition out of the military and into civilian life. And some really interesting findings there is as you all tried to dig into gaining a better understanding of that transition period and what types of factors might be increasing risk during that transition. Mark, I I was hoping in general, you could just tell us a bit about why this transition time is important and how you all got the idea to focus on this for this study? Sure. The transition out of the military really is a very important time. And I think it's important maybe to start by noting that for most service members, it's an exciting time. Many people find new opportunities as they transition out, new ways to apply their military experience. And most service members adjust fine as they make that transition. But the transition is change and change and adjustment equals stress. And so for for some people, it can turn into a lot of stress and even crises. And there's been a lot of talk about this transition and the challenges that people face. They can face loss of friendship, changes in their support systems. They've been in units with people they fought alongside in war in some cases, people they were fighting to protect and people who are literally protecting their lives and they transition out of the military and can get more distant from those kinds of important people in their life. Some people find difficulty finding a job. How do you translate being a tank crew member into civilian work? There are ways to do it and those skills are really important and there are people who can help translate that kind of experience into civilian work, but it can be challenging to communicate that. Some folks can have financial problems, marriages can experience stress, partner problems, especially if some of these other things are in play. Many people move after a transition out of the military, which is more stress. And the military people have full access to healthcare and mental health, and they may not have that when they transition out of the military. And as people experience stress, people cope in different ways. Some people use substances, alcohol or drugs to help them cope. And that can sometimes just make everything even worse. So for some people, this really is a risky time. 
Gosh, yeah, there's a lot that can be contributing to risk. And I'm curious, Mark, sharing about those reports of suicides that you were reading through in your early days of getting into this work. You mentioned that you noticed some themes as you were doing that. In that work and that exposure to this that you had, did you see any of those issues related to transition that kind of piqued your interest? Yeah. In my research in general, I would say if I had to boil it down, I would say relationship problems um, are one of the big ones. Employment and financial problems are a big one. Social support in general. And then I really do think that military identity and redefining oneself after the transition is also an important Absolutely. And as you noted earlier, it's really interesting to pay attention to and for us to learn about what are the shared risk factors with the general population, but then what is unique for our transitioning service members. That's great. Brady, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the study and how you conducted it, data sources, basic methods, so on and so forth. Sure. So it really all started with the Executive Order 13822, which is the supporting our veterans during their transition from uniformed services to civilian life. That the Executive Order really directs the DOD, VA, and Homeland Security to come together and ensure uh, seamless access to mental health care and suicide prevention resources for transitioning service members. So when we started looking into this, we noticed that we needed to get a better uh, grasp of the data available on military service data. So it's not something we had looked at all that closely up to then. And so it led us to the VA DOD Identity Repository, the Vader data, which is a wealth of information on service member military history data and it's not an easy data source to utilize. So it, it really also involved us having to work with subject matter experts at both DOD and the Defense Manpower Defense Center, as long as subject matter experts at the Vader team here on the VA side. It sounds like pretty groundbreaking work in terms of a really nice way to make use of those data. It's a great resource that we have. So Brady, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what you all looked at in the study and what your findings were with respect to suicide risk and and military discharge in that transition period. What we found was, and it was consistent with other studies, what we found was that it really confirmed that suicide rates after separation generally peaked between six and 12 months after separation and only declined modestly over the six-year time period that we looked at. As far as some of the characteristics that we found, we found that there was higher risk after separation for those that were male, younger, had lower education levels, were never married, divorced, or separated, or widowed, and white, non-Hispanic individuals. What we found was that males had a three times higher suicide hazard than their female counterparts. With increasing age, the hazard went down, 
So the rates were higher among the younger individuals and that those without high school diploma had a 70% higher hazard rate than those with a bachelor's degree. Wow, pretty, pretty strong findings there for those folks in terms of their risk. I'm interested in the the findings about the young service members and, and some of those other factors and um, curious, either, either Mark or Brady, just what you think about those specific factors um, that you identified and how those do or do not compare to the general population. So what of those are unique factors you think potentially among this group and how can we make sense of that? So I think there's definitely some unique military characteristics in terms of the military services that had the higher rates and the length of service, some of the findings that we saw with those characteristics. There are also some similarities. One of the things we were disappointed is that in our data, we were not able to separate the effects of being a young individual from the effects of being a early career military service member. And so age is tough to sort out in in some of these analyses. But I think as we have people out there helping service members who are transitioning from a prevention purpose, I'm comfortable kind of shrugging and saying, we're not sure on the why for some of this, but as you work with transitioning service members, we can say that not everybody is at equal risk and that these characteristics are relevant in your risk assessment as you uh, try to help individuals. Yeah, that's great, really helpful. I was curious about that finding of the shorter length of service and your thoughts on that, Mark. I could argue both ways, right? If the longer you're in the military, it might be harder to then transition and leave and it's a bigger change. But if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you all found that shorter length of service was more associated uh, with risk. So um, hoping you could comment on that. Yeah, we did find that. And I do think it's important to think about people who have served longer and lived in the military culture for a longer period of time and the unique stresses they might face. The shorter period of service, we picked a time period that if they served less than two years, it's most likely indicative of an atypical service period in the sense that most commitments are longer than that. And so if someone is serving less than two years, most likely something went wrong. Now, it it could be a lot of different things, and I'm always very careful about speculating, but things that can contribute to a short service period include a significant medical problem, a significant mental health challenge, legal problems. And so there's a variety of things that could be at play among uh, this group. And we didn't have data to further describe that or analyze that, I think that would be really important for future research. But in terms of suicide risk, when you think about individuals who leave the military uh, with an atypical period of service, those factors may be associated with other challenges in civilian life. It's possible they experienced something during military service that increased their risk. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that they came into the military with risk factors that increased their risk for suicide after transition such as mental health conditions. 
That's really helpful. For me as a clinician, listening to you talk about that, it's a cue to me that let's say I'm I'm doing an intake or an assessment with somebody and I notice that they had a short term of service. It makes me think that then I should be inquiring about that to learn a little bit more about for that veteran in front of me, what was the reason for that? And then to think about how those factors might contribute to risk for that veteran. Does that seem right? Or, or what would you add to that? Absolutely. I think the study gives clinicians a lot of pointers in their risk assessment to slow down and think a bit more about the person in front of them, their risk and protective factors, and how that might relate to the plan for care. If you consider, for example, someone who comes into the military with a significant mental health history, they end up leaving the military early because of that mental health history and struggles they had during service. They then go into civilian life looking for employment and potentially face challenges there. If their mental health history includes things like substance abuse disorders, they could face additional challenges both in relationships and work. And you can see how this can just be a situation where it exacerbates challenges that they face. So I do think clinicians should slow down and assess carefully when they see someone with a short period of service. Yeah, that's really helpful, Mark. Thank you. And I think just continuing along the lines of what we can learn and the impact of this research, Brady, you mentioned earlier that this work was done in in the context of the VA and other entities paying a lot more attention to this transition period. Brady, I don't know if you have anything to share about what that is looking like right now between DOD and VA and those efforts and how to support veterans during that transition in terms of programmatically what's happening, anything to add there or what you think should be happening? I do think that given that executive order, there's been a lot more attention paid to it, including there is a lot more effort around outreach to those transitioning out of service, whether it's the VA DOD and transition program or the solid start program that kind of outreach to either look to get in the case of in transition, get them set up with the healthcare needs they need with that during that transition period, or solid start just reaching out to see what kind of helping with getting their benefits during that transition period. Yeah, that's great. I think um, <laughs> covering the logistical bases in terms of benefits and, and like Mark was saying, going from potentially having full benefits in the military to transitioning out and and perhaps not being employed, making sure that those transitioning service members are really clear on what they can get from the VA is essential. And then those outreach efforts that have really been fortified by that executive order is critical and making sure that we're doing all we can to support that transition in that way. It's great. When I think about findings like this and, and then more generally just thinking about this transition period, I think about that in the context of our public health approach to suicide prevention. And so I like to think about what all of us can be doing collectively. And we've hit on some of that. We've talked some about what clinicians can be doing differently in terms of their intakes, assessments, so on and so forth, what the VA is doing to support the transition. 
And Mark, I was curious if you had some additional thoughts on what just as a community we could be doing differently or better, and then also what family members and friends could do. So if you know somebody who's going through this transition, what we could do and tips on how to approach this, as we've talked about, this can be a delicate subject with some stigma around it. So what can we be doing to support our transitioning service members? Yeah, I really appreciate the question. I think what the suicide prevention field has come to realize is that mental health clinicians uh, cannot do suicide prevention alone. We simply do not have enough providers. There aren't enough people connected to providers. Our rural communities face unique challenges. We need everybody for this incredible challenge of suicide prevention. So I think if I were to try to describe the bumper sticker for what I think might be helpful for everyone who uh, is involved in the life of uh, service member transitioning, I would say stay connected. There's a lot of resources out there. And if you can stay connected with that service member who's transitioning and try to be aware of the needs and struggles that they're facing, no matter what it is, there is help out there for that situation. Both the Department of Defense and VA have just expanded tremendously in resources for friends and families and transitioning service members for this phase. Stay connected to the transitioning service member and then get connected with the resources that are out there. You can check out things like Make the Connection website. This is a website that has stories of other service members who have transitioned recently. Brady mentioned the In Transition program. This is a Department of Defense program where all military service members, regardless of length of service, regardless of discharge status, regardless of when you separated from the military, has access to this specialized coaching and assistance for this transition period There's just a lot out there, the veteran service organizations. If you need help, reach out. And there are people who want to help both in the VA and the Department of Defense. Yeah, thanks so much for that. One additional resource I'll add to that on the VA side of the house is the Coaching Into Care program. So if you are a family member or a friend of a veteran that you're concerned about and you want to talk to them about potentially considering getting into care and you're not sure how to do that and how to navigate that situation. There's the coaching into care program that VA offers where we have amazing folks who can help support you in that. So just another resource to check out. That kind of wraps up the questions I had for you, Brady and Mark. I feel like This was a really helpful discussion in terms of both understanding the research that you all conducted and then really exploring what we can do as people who care about our veterans and service members to support them. But I just want to hand things back over to you. I'll start with Brady just to see if there's anything in addition that you'd like to add, cover that we missed. I think the only thing I would add is among the findings, which I don't think we've got a chance to discuss, is just those characteristics of military service and the findings we had in, from our study that showed, and in, in addition to those shorter service periods, also military branch, we saw differences there. So we saw higher risk among those separating from the Marine Corps and Army, and in addition to also those who were separating from 
the active component into civilian life as opposed to those that are going from the selected reserve into either civilian life or some sort of other status of, of reserve duty like the inactive ready reserve. Awesome. Thank you so much for adding that, Brady. I think those are some really specific uh, risk factors that our clinicians can be paying attention to in addition to folks who are just thinking of, about these folks and what to attend to. So thanks for that. How about you, Mark? I would just say I think it's important not to underestimate the challenges that people can face on uh, a transition out of military service. The military is its own culture. It has its own language, its own norms of behavior, manners. It even has its own laws and regulations. And I think leading theories of suicide really emphasize the importance of human connections, the toll that loneliness can take. And as people transition out and try to fit in, it's really important to help them find connections with others that are meaningful and help them adjust to uh, the new culture of the civilian world. Yeah, I love that, Mark. I think that's a wonderful point that applies to anybody who is caring about these folks, right? So we can, as clinicians, we can help with those connections and help our, the veterans we're serving, build those connections, maintain those connections. And then as loved ones and community members, we can create those opportunities, encourage those opportunities, so on and so forth. I really appreciate that. I want to thank you both for your time today. I want to thank our listeners. We will have a link to the article that we've been referencing in the show notes. Um, so you can check it out there. And I appreciate the work that you both do every day to serve our veterans and in, in the realm of suicide prevention. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. That's it for this episode. You can find more short takes on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show and give us a review. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at rmyrec. We'll see you then. Take care. Short Takes on Suicide Prevention is an informational podcast and not a substitute for mental health care. If you are having an emergency, call 911 or reach out to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. And for veterans or service members, press 1. This podcast does not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the United States government.